Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, Choosing What is Easy. It's based upon the lectionary readings for July 7th, 2019. The lectionary offers us an odd pairing of stories this week. The healing of Naaman from the book of 2 Kings, and the sending of the 70 from Luke's Gospel. At first glance, it's hard to understand why. What do these two very different stories have in common? What does a military commander's healing in the Jordan River have to do with Jesus commissioning 70 disciples to share the gospel? I wonder if the answer lies in a question Naaman's servants ask him when he struggles to accept God's healing on God's terms. Though we don't know the names of the servants who ask it, the question itself is both brilliant and cutting. If the prophet Elisha had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean? We know from our Old Testament reading that Naaman is a decorated military general, a man of great wealth, power, and influence. He has the ear of his king, the respect of his soldiers, and the easy confidence of a man who expects to get things done his way. Imagine, then, the horror he feels when he contracts leprosy, a painful, debilitating, and socially isolating disease. Imagine the shock he experiences when all of his surefire resources fail to restore his health, and he finds himself taking the medical advice of a servant, a child, a Jew, a slave, a girl. Imagine the outrage he feels when he shows up at the famed prophet Elisha's door with caravans of silver, gold, and festal garments, only to have that audacious prophet send him away without so much as a personal hello. And to where? To the Jordan River, a muddy stream, to take a bath. I don't know about you, but I understand Naaman's indignation in the story. I understand why he almost abandons hope and returns home in a huff, loathing the prophet, cursing his leprosy, and nursing a bruised ego. But like Naaman, I am stopped short by his servant's savvy question. If the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? Clearly, these servants know their master well. Of course he would have done it. The servants know that their master enjoys proving himself. They know that he wants to earn his healing. They know that he holds his own courage, fortitude, skill, and intelligence in very high regard. But why not do the easier thing, the servants persist in asking. Isn't the easier thing, well, easier? Here's the big surprise. It's not. All too often for us Christians, doing the easy thing doesn't feel easy at all. It feels impossible. Why? Because the easy thing offends our sensibilities. It humbles us. It disarms us. It challenges us. It leaves us feeling silly, unsophisticated, and vulnerable. After all, we believe in God, don't we? Of course, we prefer miracles that dazzle, divine encounters that make us look good, arduous trials that prove our spiritual worth. 
Of course we want to sweat and swell and struggle and show off. Of course we want to venerate those things that look holy. But if Naaman's story has anything to teach us, perhaps it's that sparkle isn't always where the sacred lies. Hardship for hardship's sake is not what ushers in God's healing presence. Sometimes God works through what is easy, what is simple, what is quietly waiting right in front of us. You see the humor here, don't you? Take off your armor, God essentially tells Naaman. Yes, all of it. Yes, even though people are watching. Now step into that muddy water. Yes, it smells. Yes, you'll have to stoop down. Yes, it's tepid. In you go. All the way in? Good. Now wash. Okay, wash again. Now wash again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Wash until your need to buy or earn or impress or demand or manipulate or control your way into my healing presence is washed down river for good. Let all of that hardship go. Choose the easy thing. In many ways, Jesus' commissioning of the 70 in our gospel reading echoes the same message. Consider the instructions he gives his disciples before he sends them on their way. Carry no purse or sandals. Speak peace when you enter a house. Eat what is placed before you. Invest in one home, one family, one town. Speak of what is near, not far. Don't linger in hopeless places. Don't get cocky. Remember that the kingdom of God comes near whether you are accepted or rejected. Trust that any peace which is spurned will return to you. Nothing in God's kingdom is wasted. In other words, a task Jesus sets before the 70 is hard because it is easy. In fact, it's so easy, it feels both countercultural and counterintuitive. It's so easy, it makes us wary, suspicious, and cynical. What is the task? The task is to live simply and vulnerably. The task is to rely on the grace and hospitality of others. The task is to stay in one place, to encounter, to engage, and to go deep. The task is to live as guests, sharing our faith with others as if they are our hosts, the very people we depend on for sustenance and shelter. The task is to speak peace first and last. The task is to let go in love. The task is to believe always in the abundance and nearness of God's economy. When the disciples return to Jesus, presumably having done exactly what he asked of them, they are filled with joy. As they describe all the wonders they've witnessed, Jesus says, I watch Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Meaning, when we do what Jesus asks of us, when we travel the easy path of vulnerability, humility, and peacemaking, evil trembles, demons fall, the world changes, God's kingdom comes. And yet... It's amazing how often I needlessly complicate the Christian life. But what does God want me to do, I groan? What is God's will? How shall I hear God's voice and discern God's plan? Are the answers really all that hard? Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Pray, listen, learn, and love. Break the bread. Drink the wine. Bear the burden share the peace. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Get off your high horse and get in the water. Sit down at the dinner table and speak peace to those who are feeding you. Both lectionary stories this week upend our expectations. Naaman's story is a story of reversals. Festal robes give way to nakedness. Kings and generals make way for handmaidens and servants. Pomp surrenders to prophecy. Dignity bows to wholeness and faith, saving, healing faith emerges in a muddy river. Likewise, the story of the 70 is a story of abundance flowing from simplicity. Purseless, barefooted house guests usher in God's kingdom. Speaking peace into villagers' homes brings Satan down like lightning. Navigating the world as lambs in the midst of wolves multiplies joy. If God asked for something difficult, wouldn't we do it? All right then, why not do what's easy? Why not be healed? Why not bring peace? Why not watch demons fall? For books this week, Dan reviews Robert Alter's The Art of Bible Translation. When I was in seminary 35 years ago, I took one year of Hebrew for my Master's of Divinity degree. Hebrew was especially hard with its exotic alphabet and text that read from right to left. I've forgotten my Hebrew, but there is a phrase from the second verse in the Bible that I learned back then that I couldn't forget if I tried. Genesis 1-2 reads that the primordial soup of pre-creation was tohu wa bohu. That was fun to say out loud as a student. It rhymed, it was phonetically simple, and it was one of the few things that I could pronounce without mangling the language. Genesis 1-2 is only one of many dozens of examples that Robert Alter gives to argue that the theological message of the Bible comes to us in a decidedly literary medium. In this case, we see sound play at work, where the second term phonetically mirrors the first term, suggesting how in the moment before the ordering acts of creation, everything was intermingled. And so, in his own landmark translation, he substitutes alliteration for rhyme using welter and waste. By the time that Alter, born in 1935, finished grad school at Harvard in 1962, he had three degrees in English and comparative literature. Those were the fields of his earliest scholarly expertise. Later, he turned to the translation of the Hebrew Bible, beginning with The Art of Biblical Narrative, and culminating in his award-winning 2018 publication of the entire Hebrew Bible. The project took 20 years and reflects the single most important point of this book, that a strong philological background is not sufficient by itself to make a good translation. Rather, a translator must be sensitive to the many literary aspects of the Hebrew text, wordplay, i.e. puns, word choice, diction, rhythm, the beating heart of literary prose, rhyme, syntax, narrative point of view, and so forth. These are not mere ornamentation, says Alter. They are keys to rightly understanding the Bible. In Alter's view, translators too often have a rage to explain the text and an impulse for clarification, rather than letting the simple but subtle Hebrew stand on its own. They have been tone deaf to matters of literary style in both the source and target languages. 
Quote, my own contention is that meaning in the Bible or in any literary text cannot be reduced to lexical values, that it involves the communication of affect and can never be separated from the nuanced connotation of words and their dynamic interaction as they are joined through sound, through syntax, and through poetic or narrative context. This book was a joy to read, an important subject by an eminent scholar in a concise fashion for a general readership. For movies this week, Dan reviews Mustang. This redemption drama, written and directed by Laura de Clermont-Tonnerre, debuted at the 2019 Sundance Festival, after which it opened nationwide to generally positive reviews. In the first few minutes, we're introduced to the two protagonists, both of which are caged wild animals. Out in the Nevada desert, thumping helicopters corral wild horses for their prison rehabilitation program. One of the horses, who will be named Marquis, is paired with an inmate named Roman Coleman, Coleman is a violent convict who has been transferred to the prison after 12 years elsewhere. When he says to the prison therapist that he is, quote, not good with people, she assigns him to the outdoor maintenance program that matches inmates with a wild horse that they learn to train and ride. Coleman is estranged from his daughter, who on one prison visit asks him, you think riding horses can change things? Well, the answer is given by the crusty cowpoke who heads the program. Some wild horses can be broke, and some can't. And lastly, for poems this week, Christ Has No Body by Teresa of Avila. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good, Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for July 7th, 2019. I'm Debbie Thomas.